For many of us, the word home includes not just our family home, but also our hometown. True enough for the TV renovation stars Martha Teichner has been watching. We're Aaron and Ben Napier. We live in a beautiful small town in Mississippi. Our town has seen hard times, but we're committed to changing that one house at a time. So began episode one, season one, of Hometown on HGTV. Five years later, Aaron and Ben are HGTV superstars. Laurel, Mississippi, population 18,000 or so, like so many other small towns, had been hollowed out. I don't like to be told that the place where I'm from is dead. It is interesting and it's creative and it's unusual and I wanted to share that with the world. What is it that you think makes people like you and your show? It's it a happy place. It is a happy place. And they feel invested in Laurel and the story here and I think they see something universal that maybe applies to where they're from too. There were over 5,000 submissions. Which is how it happened that HGTV created a hometown spinoff called Hometown Takeover. It's obviously a huge undertaking, but if it's successful, then people should feel a renewed sense of hope in what can happen where they live. When it premiered on May 2nd, six and a half million people saw Tabitha Poe's struggling women's boutique transformed. What happened next? Less than 24 hours, the entire website was sold out. Just got them out of the box. Sold. And the store was so busy that Tabitha was swamped. I was a mess. I could not hold back the tears. You are listening to Fruitless, a podcast hosted by me, Josiah Sutton. This is episode 22, The Hometown Curse, featuring Brian Alford of The Worst of All Possible Worlds. Welcome to Fruitless. I am joined today by Brian Alford. Hey, yeah. aka the worst of all possible Brian's. The worst of all possible Brian's. Yes, I'm. I'm working on my my journey through inviting uh, each individual member of the worst <laughs> of all possible. So, so AJ, we're coming for you next. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm the hardest one to get actually. So really, so, okay. Yeah, AJ AJ will be pretty simple. Yeah, I'm so bad at like realizing that my notification number has gone up on whatever app that someone messages me on you know that's kind of funny because i think i did my worst possible pitch toward anyone was toward you <laughs> like that i've done for for a guest in a while which like initially it was because like guests had caved in for october and so i had yeah. hit you up like hey on the off chance like this week and i didn't realize aj was getting married that week <laughs> Oh yeah, AJ was getting married that week. I was closing the show that I'd been doing for the la the 14 months at that point, the longest oh I've ever God. run in a show. That same weekend, it was just like everything was happening. I was like, this probably won't work. And I think I said, I'll get back to you in November. And then I did not get back to you in well, November. I didn't get back to you either. And yeah. then... <laughs> And then I was back in a situation where I'm like, I can't figure out anybody for December. And I'm like, that's yeah. right. We have a rain check with Brian. There we go. 
<laughs> and then I think I saw your DM like three days after you sent it. Oh man! I was like, well, hey, then, sorry. <laughs> talking about worst possible, like yeah, like bad, bad being bad at inviting you on. Like yeah, I, yeah again, worst pitch the second time because I said, hey, I don't have a topic picked out yeah. though. <laughs> I don't have and, anything specific. Yeah, and I remember sitting there looking, and I was like, I know that there's something that's like on my mind. It's probably because I'm going to go home for Christmas, and I was thinking about this show that my parents are absolutely obsessed with. And mm-hmm. for the most part, it's like the the shows that my parents really like are shows that I like too. Like every every evening, if I'm at home with them, it's like we'll watch Jeopardy and Antiques Roadshow, and those sure. are entirely my shit. Uh, my mom also li- really likes Perry Mason, which I'm not as into, but you know, whatever. And sure. my dad likes car auctions, which I'm not into. But <laughs> if he's watching reruns of Star Trek, we're in great shape. But then f- somehow this show just like emerged and it just turns out that they just loved watching this one HGTV show about these two uh, extremely Christian people, right? They are Christian <laughs> all the way down to their haircuts. And it's just like, you don't even have to know that like this guy was a youth pastor to like feel that he was a youth pastor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it it actually was like confusing because the show never really seems to mention, at least on the episodes like I'd watched. And so like, I was confused. I was kind of like, well, did you mean he was a pastor's kid or whatever? And then you confirmed by like, after you were digging, you're like, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. I was surprised to find out that they were Methodist. I was expecting something that was going to be more (laughs) right wing, I guess. Uh, But like, yeah, I guess both of his parents were pastors and then he was a youth pastor and he was pastoring before they got this show made. Uh And uh, you sometimes will see his brother on the show and, and you know, he talks. I think he went. They don't say it in like the CV on the bios, but he does mention going to Mississippi Bible College at some point. So he must have done seminary study as well. Oh, okay. Um, so like th- it's a big part of it. They do one episode where there's like the church family and they they renovate their home and they yeah. give them a dining room <laughs> setup that involves a pew. They're like, yeah, they, they're, they're they like cut it and made it like an L bench. You know, it, it didn't I mean, look it was good. Kinda... Okay, okay, we're in disagreement. It okay. I thought it was. I thought bad. it was okay. I didn't think it was like amazing. <laughs> let me let me back myself up. <laughs> I, I was I'm like, not... I don't know. I thought that was just really tacky. It seems like a weird way to sit around a dinner table where you kind of have sure. to tuck yourself into the corner like that. Yeah, but that's true. It's not it, my it house. It could be like a like a booth at a restaurant. You know, that was yeah, how I yeah. was thinking. That would have been fun. Yeah. No, I mean, I wasn't like. I, I was about to say it seemed fine. So to clarify, yeah. I'm not like going to bat for no, you're, you're wrong. This is an no, amazing yeah. decision. Their, their houses. <laughs> I don't know. I have, I have such a problem with modern design in houses and interior design where it's just like, I see, I see what everyone is doing. And I'm just like, it's just so loud. Uh-huh. There's just no carpeting. There's nothing to absorb or baffle Mm. sound anywhere everything just like they've you know they tear down every wall possible this isn't unique to this show this is every every trend right now is like make big open rooms and it's just it's all so loud (laughs) (laughs) it's like there's no privacy anymore you can hear someone chewing across the house oh yeah 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 because it's that i mean they're not like minimalists but it makes me think of that with like the really white walls and like yeah they default to that like frequently yeah the there's one room where they there's one house they're showing someone that has this really elaborate wallpaper in it and 
the client is like, I actually really love this wallpaper. And they still take out nearly all of it. They're like, we're going to leave the <laughs> wallpaper behind for her. And then they just leave it on like an old chimney part of the room or something. Just one little bit where the wall's kind of sticking out. They've left that and the rest of it, they've totally stripped. <laughs> uh, the, so the other thing you, you had mentioned was part of the reason that you'd picked this out is you've been watching through the curse yeah, uh, recently as well. Yeah. And I think that that probably also just like fired this thing off in my head again, because uh, the curse was just a combination of so many things I love. I mean, Nathan Fielder, mm-hmm. the Safties, uh, Emma Stone and the great state of New Mexico, where I'm from. <laughs> And it's Your actually, sh- yeah. yeah, it's actually shot like uh, some of it is in Santa Fe, but they actually do shoot it in Española, oh, which is okay. a very, very small place. Uh, I was surprised. I just assumed they were going to be shooting in Santa Fe and Albuquerque and pretend it's Española like you usually do. But no, they're actually shooting a lot of it up there. And it's the same premise on that show, right, where it's there's this married couple. They have a lot of money or they have a lot of loans from their from her parents to like buy up this property and they're going to use it to revitalize the town in their own image. And they, they want to be doing good. They desperately want to be doing a good thing and they want people to like them. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very unpleasant. It's especially (laughs) Emma Stone scenes. She's more, I I think she inspires more of like cringe than Nathan Fielder does. Yeah. Because you just get that sense that no one actually likes her and she is so desperate to have everyone love her. You know, the thing, the thing with, with Emma, Emma Stone's character though, is I think she's the one that I do, at least thus far, do genuinely believe kind of wants to do good stuff. Yeah, but yeah, is just like you know so embarrassing about it, like <laughs> just and and knows nothing, especially when it comes yeah. to matters of like race or whatever, where she's consistently making horrifying, oh ignorant <laughs> comments. Um, you know, it, it, yeah, but then like Nathan Fielder's character is like, I think he's a bad person. I think he might yes. just be a bad person. <laughs> yeah, he he wants to do these good things or to be seen as good because his wife wants to do it. And he yes. really desperately doesn't want to lose her because he also doesn't have any friends. So yeah. she's all he, he's got. That scene where in that first episode where he gets into the fight with yeah. the, the lo- who, who is an actual <laughs> local news reporter in Albuquerque. Oh, it is. Um, <laughs> and, and she's yeah, she, I think she's fantastic in this show. But it's just. Yeah. Uh, and you just see, yeah, this incredible darkness that is behind those eyes and behind all mm-hmm. that all that stress and that TMJ that he has. Oh yeah. No, yeah. That's that scene is when you like up until then I think you you kind of like think he's maybe, you know, like similar to Emma Stone's character, right? He's just yeah. maybe uh ignorant or whatever, but trying to do the right thing, but just going about it wrong. And it's it's how quick he snaps into like <laughs> yeah. this like you know, you are my servant tone of voice that yeah. like is vile. Like, <laughs> and, you know, watching enough like Nathan for you and stuff, it was unexpected to see yeah. him like, talk in that register. Yeah. To have him, to have that sort of rage on display. It's not really something that he does with his persona that no. much. No. But yeah. So uh, of course the curse is still coming out right now. You, yeah. everyone should, should watch it. It, it rocks. It's very good. 
Um, very yeah. uncomfortable. <laughs> very. Yeah. I, I will give you that. Uh, you, you see a lot of, a lot, a lot of small penises in the first episode. Yeah. Um, we're, we're in a, we're in a, an age right now for prosthetic dicks and balls on like prestige television. That's right. Yeah. Like ever since, I don't know, American gods or something like R- righteous gemstones had a fully erect, like masturbating cock in the last season. <laughs> Man, I you know what? It's it's embarrassing I haven't seen Righteous Gemstones yet because I know oh, it's wow. so up my alley. Yeah. Uh I I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking forward to the the giant erect prosthetic cock now. So that'll <laughs> I was just like, wow, they can actually do that. Like, yeah, like HBO wasn't so like, far. maybe this is one step too far. <laughs> but no, so the curse is very good. Um, yeah. I think it's really interesting to watch the curse back to back with hometown. Like we did. Yeah. Um, especially cause I, you know, a big theme in the curse is like, um, you know, like Emma Stone and Nathan Fielder's characters are like trying to have a likable banter that, you know, mm-hmm. can happen on the show. And that becomes a point of tension, you know, later on in the show as it goes with like, they're forcing Nathan's character to go to a comedy class and stuff. Cause <laughs> yeah. he's not funny on, on camera. Cause he has and no personality. Yeah. To juxtapose that with, you know, like this show where I get to see exactly what they're trying to be, Yeah, it, you know, cause it's so aggressively like cutesy and they have this rapport or whatever throughout the whole thing that I think is, probably half of why people like the show so much is yeah. they are kind of like likable in a I'd kind say of it's even way. more than half i feel like the big they're in, in more than telling a story of like these houses that they're refurbishing or the client that is getting it done which i feel was was more of the old system right bob vila's show was all about just like process mm-hmm. you see all the materials and the termite damage and everything like that and here it is about this couple that loves each other so much. It's way and, and, so much. <laughs> and they want to let you know everything about their personal lives. And and where you know, when they when he after seven days of knowing her, he he told her that he was in love with her and <laughs> it, like I mean it's it's crazy how much they they are revealing or choosing to tell about themselves in order to draw people in. And I guess some of this is from the the very famous couple that did this before, the Gaineses, mm-hmm. who had their their show Fixer Upper and they 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 kind of did this with Waco where they fixed up houses. They built this huge marketplace in Waco. Uh Waco's a much bigger town though. Waco's like 150,000 yeah. people or something. And Laurel, Mississippi, which is where they're from, the hometown of Blanche Dubois from A Streetcar Named Desire, <laughs> is like about as big as my hometown, Gallup, New Mexico. It's a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. It's like less than 20,000 people. And and it's very poor. I mean, one of the episodes, I just kept watching a few episodes here and there. One episode has a guy buy a house for $15,000. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what I, I did find like, fun about watching the show despite this very much not being my cup of tea is like i don't know watching them turn a fifteen thousand dollar house into you know something that would look really good to like my mom you know yeah (laughs) it's 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 cool to see that process and to see like i don't know there's a there's a degree of that that like um you know i briefly did like an internship at a uh historical society that was like refurbishing an old german opera house in iowa right oh wow and there's a lot of the same stuff where it's like oh they're dumping out chairs at 
Iowa State University, like from the because they're replacing the chairs oh, at the sure. stadium. Oh shit, we need new chairs for the theater. We got to go get them. You know, like <sighs> I, I saw incredible. a lot of that yeah. process, right? So I had like a soft spot for this, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think that they're necessarily dishonest people, and I, I think the story of how they like got into making this TV show is so interesting because it didn't seem like that was their trajectory. They were doing influencer stuff and they were running a stationary mm-hmm. company and doing like graphic design. And and the husband, uh, uh, what is his name? Ben. Ben, ben Napier. Napier uh, was also a financial advisor and a youth pastor. So the financial advisor thing threw me off a bit because yeah. that is definitely a vibe he's like not trying to have. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think I think they had some idea for revitalizing their small town doing startup stuff, doing the kind of shit that you'll hear about like on the Trillbillies every 3 weeks or so where yeah, someone yeah. gets like government <laughs> money to do you know coding camps for West Virginians or something. Uh but they they do this Southern magazine this magazine that's now discontinued because it's a magazine. They don't exist anymore uh, <laughs> called Southern Weddings. And it was just like it it wasn't about their wedding. It was just about married life or something. And they kind of took pictures around the house and it's pretty immaculately decorated. It all has this very distinct style to it. And she talks about her style. And I guess some very intrepid producer over at HGTV contacted them contacted mm-hmm. the Napiers and was like, would you like to do a sort of Chip and Joanna Gaines type show, but for Laurel, Mississippi, oh, which is okay. very interesting. Like to, to go from being a graphic designer to being like an interior decorator and to go from being a youth pastor slash financial advisor into like doing professional carpentry and everything. It, 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 quite a shift. Yeah. And, and to do it for TV, especially. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is jarring, and and I yeah, can, I don't know. I can imagine that they like maybe didn't know what they were getting into at the start. Yeah, I mean, because that that's the thing is, I I really wanted when I started watching these, and we watched like one or you know, I watched one episode per season, aside from yeah. the most recent season. Although I think you got to one of those at least. Yeah, yeah, that was the one where the house was fifteen thousand dollars, and they almost had to tear the whole thing down. Oh yeah, my God. But yeah, like I I um wanted so bad going into this to like just be like oh these guys these are they're scum you know i was hoping i'd be able to like have like a fun like fun time dunking on them and i just didn't really find like i think they might be fine people there's some some sketchy stuff and obviously they're making a lot of money that like i'm i think that fucks you up eventually yeah Uh, yeah you know but on the whole they seem really fine and so I think them being so fine makes this conversation interesting because it's more about this like giant HGTV complex around them. Yeah, the house of David Zoslav and everything that that, that entails. <laughs> right. It's which, you know, like, I, I think that's why it is interesting to pair this with the curse, because like that's. One of the themes of the curse is you can have as pure motivation as you want going into this, but like it's still a show built on gentrifying this neighborhood and it's going to do that. (laughs) Yeah. And the curse has this very funny bit with these mirrored houses that they're building that are that like don't have windows and they're supposed to like 
regulate the temperature, but it takes like five hours or something like that. And it's like, uh, and I've seen a lot of desert projects like this where it's like, we're going to make this kind of, you know, completely zero impact home, but it's not really true. You know, they're, yeah, yeah. it's like, <laughs> it's like, no, there actually is like a huge impact that this has. Also, it's probably just going to cook all of the plant and animal life around it because it's reflecting the sunlight onto them. Oh, yeah, because all the birds that keep hitting it throughout the <laughs> yeah. show is very funny. <laughs> and but like, th- no, this seems this seems like there is a sincere thing underneath it. But it, you start to see these trends as you're watching it. And it's a lot of, you know, it's it's not entirely white, but there's a lot of white people. And yeah. all of the people that they have these business relationships with. And you see that all the way from the pilot where it's like, okay, we're going to go over to my buddy who has this shop and they're going to get this thing mm-hmm. for us. Uh, this is where we get our lumber. This is where we get our curtains. This is where, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is someone who does like custom monograms or whatever. And... It's also all white people. And mm-hmm. I was thinking like a town in in Mississippi where the houses are this cheap, this does not seem like a town that has that many white people in it. And sure enough, it is a two thirds black town. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You, you linked to there was a, a Reddit thread of somebody who had pointed <laughs> this out and then people getting mad at them. So and- mad. <laughs> <laughs> and like. That was the thing is until you had linked that Reddit thread, I be, being with them in the Midwest, like that's the case. There's a lot of small towns kind of like what the impression of hometown is in this yeah, of like, yeah. it is just literally 99.9% white. Um, and obviously there is historical racist reasons for that, but it's like, you know, if you were filming in this town, there's nothing you could really do to prevent that. Right. Yeah. But then like learning it's like 60 there is a it was a 60 percent black population in the town in Laurel. it's like okay now it seems like somebody is making a choice not to include yeah these people in this start to see the kinds of people that are buying these houses and if you've if you've ever read about like other kinds of home improvement shows or like love it or listed or something like that a lot of times it's like the choice of the house has already been made you know uh they don't really have anything to do with it. like sometimes they're not the people moving in the curse uh plays off of this in the most recent episode and so i was like trying to dig a little bit and see like are these people sincere are these just like people that they're getting while they're refurbishing houses that maybe the napiers themselves are buying up and for the most part it does look like these are the real people they do this weird thing at the beginning of the show where they go house hunting but it's like the napiers are not real estate agents they're just interior decorators (laughs) they do the (laughs) they, they do all the work on it but it's like they're not selling you the house but sometimes they'll just do this little choice thing. But I, I'm sure that part is like that person has already bought whatever they're buying. And once they start working on the house, I think all of that is pretty much real. I think you miss most of the work because like these people are split between so many different businesses and now so many different spinoff TV shows that you're kind of missing the actual yeah. crew that is doing most of the work. Um. But I think what these clients are primarily is it's often like friends of the Napiers. It's people who lived around the area who are moving back decades later. And it's a lot of people who are buying like a second house or Mm. possibly even buying a house to rent. Right. 
Like they're not going to be living there. They're going to be renting that to somebody, which is why you're seeing them fully furnished and everything, right? Because why would someone move to a house that is their only house and it's already full of all of these <laughs> things that yeah. the Napiers have put in it? It's like, where did their own possessions go? That's a good point. Yeah. I, I mean, I had wondered the same thing of like what the move in process actually would look like for some of these. Yeah. And it's like, oh, they're probably because there isn't a move in process. Yeah. For a lot of them. <laughs> Well, there was one article that we read. Um, I think I put it in the in the document at least. Um, that was just like, what is the what is the process on on behalf of a client? And it's not exactly a revealing article, except in a couple of places. And they talked to mm-hmm. this woman from Indiana who is moving down there, who uh, talks about how how pleasant it was and how she had to fill out like a. a she had to like write an essay about why I would be a good fit for the the TV show. And, you know, because they want to have personalities. They want to have people who are going to be able to talk about stuff and be enthusiastic about things. So you have to screen a little bit. Yeah. It was less than I thought. I thought there would probably be like screen tests and auditions, which it didn't sound like. No. Um, but there are repeat takes of everything. You're walking through these houses. You're walking through a house that you didn't want in the first place, but you're going to pretend that you want it and then see how much you hate it. And it's Mississippi, and I'm sure it's, like, miserable most of the time that you're shooting. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I am absolutely a creature of the desert. I can't stand humidity at all. I don't know why I live in New York, but. <laughs> but, yeah, because yeah, I, I think, yeah, in that article she talked about, like, they had had this scene where they kept having to do retakes with, like, yeah. going up into looking at the shitty attic. That was yeah. like, awful. And she was like, I don't want to go up to the attic anymore and, like, pretend to be. <laughs> yeah, I'm just imagining, like, Shelley Duvall having to go up all those stairs for The Shining. <laughs> oh, my God. And, and yeah. And that article ends, I think, with the most telling thing, which is that that woman from Indiana has not moved into that house yet. Yeah. And, and it's it like, been it's like been like four year. or five months. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and more time had passed and like she was living in it part time. There are a few of these houses because the Napiers also have this website that's all about all the downtown businesses that they have some degree of investment in as an actual financial investment. And there is a, a tab on that website that's just about like where to stay when you go here. And of course, some of these houses are listed on Airbnb as part time uh- rentals. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, this is a bigger problem with the Gaineses. They have a lot of those houses in Waco up on like Verbo, and they're very, very expensive. But like these people are some of these clients. And it's just a handful of them, but I would imagine more are doing long term rental. Are are pulling in like a hundred twenty five bucks a night for what they're renting out on Airbnb, which is a lot of money. And it's mm-hmm. a, a, certainly a lot of money compared to like the actual home values in. In this tiny little Mississippi town. Yeah. And I've seen a couple of the houses get resold. And most people right now, at least, I mean, this brand is still building, but most of these people are not making the bank when they sell these houses again. They're paying, they're, they're getting back essentially what they put into it with the budget sure. for renovation and everything. Sure. Yeah. And maybe, maybe another like 50000 on top of it. That I think kind of frames it a little bit because... Yeah, so so like I mean I guess it's obvious it's a very obvious point to be like oh reality TV it's not as real as it seems <laughs> but you know that I I think there's a degree that like yeah I mean this is 
this is getting faked to some extent or another. Like yeah. a lot of these houses are just, you know, they're not actually building the community of this town like yeah. they are framing it as. But yeah, they're really invested in the like the mythos of a small town, like what a small yeah. town represents or whatever. And that's part of why the businesses are so important throughout it is, you know, because that's the idealized idea of what a small town is, is, well, you know, your your buddy who works at, you know, this, this, you know, it, it, all the different businesses and you, you work with, with this buddy and then they can get you this stuff or whatever. Like it, it's an idea that it's like this big community, but I mean, like I, I've lived in small towns. That's not yeah. really been my experience. <laughs> Maybe I wasn't plugged in enough. I don't know. But like, yeah, I've definitely known people growing up, a lot of people who would like come to Gallup from Michigan or Iowa and, mm-hmm. and become like teachers for a couple of years. And then they'd be like, well, this small town, like we're just on the cusp of, of making it something new. And then they'll start like a magazine or build a, you know, a bookstore <laughs> downtown or something. And, and then, you know, just the usual fact of the matter. And it's like, no, this place is just extremely poor. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just like make an up and coming town. Like the, the reason this town existed was because of for a long time, it was the only stop on the railroad for a long time. Then it, you know, mm. it had coal, it had bricks, it had uranium, and uh, we're not really making any of, we're not mining or making any of those anymore. Mm-hmm. And so the the main source of income for a place like Gallup is through hospitality and retail. And about 80% of the revenue in that town comes from the reservation, it comes from people coming in when they get their paychecks to go to walmart and the mall and buy stuff and take it home Mm -hmm. and you're not that's not a that's not a startup culture that's not a place where you're going to be able to like sell artisanal cookies and root beer floats that's a place where you can make a lot of money selling mcdonald's Mm -hmm. because people are not going to be ponying up all that kind of money yeah not to mention kind of um I mean, you know, the the reason these these big um, big you know like big businesses work in a small town like that is because they are the ones that are capable of offering something cheap, mm-hmm. and then that's also you know it, it's not because of that the money isn't staying within the town it isn't growing yeah. up the town it's going to to Walmart yeah <laughs> or to McDonald's you know out of the town and and the um, businesses that do sell artisanal things in a place like Gallup uh, are like pawn shops, trading posts, places that mm-hmm. have been around for a hundred years, you know, and they're run by Baptists or Mormons and they uh, are, have very predatory business practices. You know, yeah. they offer loans that are, that shouldn't be legal to offer where you're, you have like a hundred percent interest on them and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And a place like Laurel, it sounds like one of the advantages that the Napiers have to sort of building their historic district and their downtown in this particular image is that the highway basically connects directly to the historic district and bypasses the rest of the town. Okay. And so it sounds like that that's able to create sort of just a natural geographic separation between the things that the TV wants you to see and the things that the TV doesn't want you to see. Okay. Okay. So that, well, and, and would that kind of fit in with, um, would that kind of explain some of the like the racial segregation that's built into this too, or no? I think I, I, don't I know think so because I mean I've even looked at again looking at the blogs and all these other websites that they maintain where it's like here's an event downtown 
and it's like a big event. There's a big crowd of people there, and it's almost all white. And it's like, well, how is that even possible? It's one thing for it to be like a TV yeah. show, and you're you're only seeing a small group of people anyway. But for the whole like whatever Christmas tree lighting or whatever you've got going on, how can a town that is this black attract a crowd to this event that is so overwhelmingly white? Right. Right. That that <laughs> just doesn't uh, doesn't add up. Because <laughs> no. I mean, you look at a, a, a again, I'm just going to keep drawing comparisons to my hometown all the time because I'm also from a, a sure. small town that is uh, not not majority white. Like if you look at pictures of the arts crawl or the flea market or any kind of big downtown thing, you're not going to see just this overwhelming sea of people who look like Brian Alford, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. So, so like, I don't know. It, it's it's tricky. So, so why why is the the show got this like strange racial dynamic? Like, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know whose whose fault is it? Because I some of the people who were trying to you know defend it in that like Reddit thread were bringing up like it might be predatory practices of the banks there who mm-hmm, aren't giving mm-hmm. housing loans to to uh, people of color um and maybe that's true i i don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i mean <laughs> but again i i think it might just be that the nature of who these people are that are clients for this show they are people who are coming to this town to buy a house to get it all fixed up by the tv program mm-hmm. and that's just a different market and that's that's an out of town market that's not the local mm-hmm. market for the most part. And a lot of the locals that they get, including that guy who bought the $15,000 house, are people who used to be local, moved away, and are now moving back. Returning. Right. Yeah. Right. That and makes so sense. I, th- I think that's the big thing is like they are building an economy, you know, a- as as Laurel was a manufacturing town, it's where Masonite was invented. <laughs> And, and and manufactured for decades and decades. And then, of course, around the 90s, same as, you know, Flint and Detroit and every every place like that in, in, in America, it hit that that decline that manufacturing towns had. And mm-hmm. so now their business has to be like Gallup hospitality and retail, but they're doing like high end retail, which means that they have to attract customers who do not live in Laurel. Mm hmm. And that that creates a weird dynamic. It, it creates a, a dynamic that doesn't necessarily actually build community, but it can sure build some community for some people who are economically benefiting <laughs> right. from it. Well, yeah, and I mean, like th- this is you know, th- there's also like because of that 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 kind of privileged class that I think is growing more and more in in Laurel. I'm thinking of. Um, and I'm trying to skim over it again to remember exactly everything that had happened oh, yeah. in it. But I had found that article about like, I mean, it, it, the article goes on to just point out in general that like um, there has just been a consistent problem of like local cops looking the other way for, yeah. you know, crimes that were committed by, you know, people at top. And I believe it culminated in a murder. Um, mm. Yeah. But yeah, there there is not like, you know, there is a pretty clear like problem taking place in the town right now between this like rich upper class and you know everyone else yeah and yeah and that's not that doesn't come out in the show like at all which i mean like it's not a documentary about the town like i don't i don't expect it to always come out but like i don't know it it is a it, it does give a weird impression i I guess just I'm thinking through the show as like a form of propaganda of some way or another but I can't figure out what it's 
what it's propagandistic for. You know what I mean? Like these kind of shows, you know, they serve a point in like defending capital in some way or another. But I, I, I struggle with this exact show about like what, what it's doing. Is it just trying to make Laurel look really good? Is it, yeah. you know, is it a commercial for Laurel? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I guess there is this larger sort of fantasy fulfillment of like, if if I spend enough time, if I'm, I don't even have to be all that shrewd. If I just like am able to look around the corners, I can find something that that's going to be good for me, and I can I can create like a whole home for myself mm-hmm. uh, in my image. And because c- I think a big part of it is that they want to portray all these clients as ordinary people, right? They're people yeah. just like you. They're people who are just watching this. TV show just like you and they can get these great new custom pieces of furniture and they can get their their wallpaper replaced by you know really boring flat paint and wainscoting and whatever Mm -hmm. I I think it's just like yeah I think I think what it's selling is like you can do this too and I think that's 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 a big I, I talked about antiques roadshow earlier where it's like uh Antiques Roadshow is like, oh, yeah, you might just have something in your closet or there might be something at the yard sale down the street and you're going to be able to make a lot of money off of it. Yeah, it turns out it's worth a million dollars and it was yeah Yeah. from the 16th century or something. Like that's what's that's what's always so fun about that show is you're watching it. You're like, well, that could be me. Right. Like the you're you're watching the little guy succeed at the very least, even if you're not putting yourself into it, you're seeing like a Cinderella story. And then like if you really pay attention Mm -hmm. to something like Antiques Roadshow and you hear these people talking about where they are, they're all like wasps they're all like oh yeah, yeah well my 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 great great grandmammy came off of the the mayflower and we were one of the first <laughs> families to open a plantation in south carolina and it's like oh okay well <laughs> got it got it all right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that's it because i i don't know one one aspect of the show i was noticing while watching it that i i think is probably I think the appeal of a lot of HGTV stuff is yeah. if, if you're someone who is not, you know, upper middle class or higher, um, you get to uh, imagine being a property owner. Yeah. And that's a fun fantasy that feels yeah, less to and less about, attainable. Like, yeah. Like I can own a house and I can have a yard and I can put things in my yard that I want to be there and, and I'll be secure mm-hmm. in that. I can hold on yeah. to it. I'm not just like at the whim of of some landlord who won't fix my leaky radiator. Yeah, like because I don't know, and maybe that's just because I'm, you know, c- consistently pissed off at my own, you know, inability to, <laughs> uh, you know, not not live in an apartment. But I I <laughs> I just captured like caught that that was the thing that I just kept thinking about while watching it. Is like, yeah, what's so nice and comforting about this is it is nice to just for a little bit imagine like, oh yeah, it would be cool to have a, a yard. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, not a, not, not have an a- asshole landlord, etc. Yeah. Well, and there is a lot of like the uh the romantic south in this. They always like they, mm-hmm. they they and it's sort of a southern exceptionalism because they know that they're talking to an audience of Yankees, although I'm sure that a lot of the HGTV audience is very southern. You know, they're like, "Oh yeah, porches. Porches are a big deal on the south." Yeah, That's where you can yeah. go and sip your iced tea and your lemonade and tell tall tales. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? Is this 1860? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. There's a there's a mythos to it, you know. Yeah. There's there's a whole like, yeah. 
You can sit out the door and wait for the latest telegram. Like, yeah. <laughs> also, like, I, I mean, there are people that sip iced tea on porches. Oh yeah, like no, it's a in real Des Moines, thing. Iowa. Yeah, that's true, that's true. <laughs> is what I mean. That's not a southern thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, and, and yeah, wh- one of those early episodes too is like they're they're showing this house, and the client is just like, "Well, this one doesn't have a porch. What are we supposed to do?" And then Ben's like, "Oh, I'm gonna build a porch." You're going to have a porch. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Great. (laughs) Congrats. Oh, my God. There's one where they do a really hard sell, too, on on a couple where they're like, well, this one doesn't have a porch, but it does have a big backyard. You can think of the backyard as a kind of porch, but on the other side of the house. (laughs) God, that's such a funny framing. It's... (laughs) Yeah, there are multiple types of places where you can hang out outside, <laughs> it turns out. <laughs> and it's interesting to look at that 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 Southern Wedding article, too, and they talk about how in, in the lifestyle that they are portraying to this magazine, this is, you know, before this TV show, before they have kids... Uh, they talk about like they're they're basically splitting time between two houses where it's like them and their friends who live down the block and they and they with their group of friends uh, are like having dinner with each other every single night. So like the dinner yeah. duties are split half and half between the two couples. One couple makes dinner one night. One couple makes dinner the other night. They're always sure. doing that. Which sounds sounds very like uh, I just graduated from college and I moved to Williamsburg and I'm in an intentional housing situation kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, it's not, it's it seems very different from the the image that they're selling now. They they even have like in their living room in this article from like 2012, they have a the painting of Tony Soprano with his horse. <laughs> Wait, I I think I missed that. I don't think it's in a picture, but they do describe it in one oh, of the they paragraphs. It. Okay. And it's like it's like this is this is kind of <laughs> off topic, but I got distracted by bookshelves. I'm always interested mm. in like anything like this, what books they choose to put out. And I yeah. especially was taken off guard by um just like a Kissinger biography. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not like uh it it's it's um what the one by I I just looked it up now, but by uh Marvin and Bernard Kalb, which doesn't look like from what I'm seeing it's like a positive celebratory one. Okay. But also like, I don't know if I buy that they're like reading this book. (laughs) And also why, why would you buy just like a big book that says kiss and like, like, is that give off the, the impression that like you, you, someone sees that and they're like, Oh, this guy knows geopolitics. Sometimes I think it's just the size of the book that matters. Uh, I I think it's gone now, (laughs) but there used to be this like co-working space called the wing. And the wing, it was like, it was for women. It was a okay. women's co-working space, and it was very, you know, corporate feminist kind of stuff. And sure, yeah. Someone that I kind of tangentially knew had posted on Twitter. They were like, "Oh, I'm, I'm at the wing today," and had taken a picture. And it was like, it was like, what the fuck am I doing here? And the and the picture was of these bookshelves in the I don't know main co-working area <laughs> of the wing. All of these books, and it's all by women, all women authors, sure. you know, George Eliot or whatever. And they're, but they're, I think they were all like uniform colors. So they had been like recovered so that they would all be like beige. And then there was one really huge book that stood out. And I could see even from this picture from across the room, exactly what this book was. And I was like, and I was like, 
I know a particular woman who wrote a book of this length, and sure enough, it was Lenny Riefenstahl's memoir. Oh my God. I thought you were going to say Atlas Shrugged. No. <laughs> that would have been good too. No. I, I'm sure there probably was some Rand on those shelves, but like the biggest book out Lenny of all of them, all it said was just on the on on the spine of it was just Riefenstahl. And I was like, oh, oh no. God. Holy shit. Like I, you can't, so- you can't, like you can't do the parody of your, of your company like at the company itself. Like that is a yeah. that is a bad joke that someone told and you're just doing it for real. Yeah, that's at least that's a meme. Like making <laughs> yeah. fun of like, <laughs> like really reductionist herself. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> it's insane. It just <laughs> drives me fu- but again, I think it's just like, well, that's a woman and that book is really big, so it'll look nice on the shelf. <laughs> it'll look intelligent yeah and that probably you know, kissinger big book and and you know it's a you know kissinger is a is a name that people have heard of it sounds very sophisticated if you don't really think about mm-hmm. it at all yeah yeah it means you you are interested in the political history of, yeah. of this country <laughs> you're interested in the 20th century yeah uh, <laughs> it, it would be different right it would it, it he doesn't have the same stink on him for a lot of people that nixon does it would be funny for more people to see a Nixon book, but Kissinger, they wouldn't necessarily <laughs> bat an eye. Which which is kind of strange to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like Kissinger should be an even more tainted name, it, honestly. He absolutely should be, but he just, he was able to write it out in the way that Nixon mm-hmm. couldn't. Yeah. I think Nixon was just so much funnier too. Like it's just it's just really That's hilarious that he taped himself being like I'm I'm doing crimes now. What's the next criminal act we're supposed to do? Yeah, so um you know, go back to the show here. Wh- yeah. To what extent do you think uh Ben Napier's like masculinity because you know that's a big yeah. theme throughout this is like you know like the Duck Dynasty guys are all like rich frat dudes you know like yeah, they, they, they have they, a very different vibe they didn't have beards before they had the tv show yeah yeah to to what extent is you think ben napier is that way because with the show you get the impression like they found this guy cutting wood outside yeah and and that's yeah. that's how they found him and then you tell me he's a financial advisor from a financial advisor his like, twitter his twitter account is just him posting pi- bible verses every day uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he 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 just wears flannel. He's like, well, he's been losing weight, but he's like three hundred twenty pounds, and he's six foot mm-hmm. six or six foot eight or something. He's just like mm-hmm. he's a bear, and he is, uh, you know, you see him woodworking, and you see him going and salvaging lumber and everything, and that that's just the whole thing. He is, I think, the ideal Southern man. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's godly. He, you know, he's married. Now he's got kids. Uh, yeah. He, he, he's, he's, a, he's an artisan, but he also apparently knows a lot about money. He's a shrewd investor. <laughs> like, this guy is a renaissance man for the 21st century American South. Apparently so. <laughs> and he's never going to be any more formal than a button-up flannel and jeans. Right. <laughs> Even though his hair, his hair in, like, later seasons looks more hipstery. It does it, look a little it, bit, then, though. Yeah. yeah, you can see a little bit of it. But, like, you know, it's still, like, 
it's still evangelical coded. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Like it doesn't leave that because then it just feels like, oh, okay, now we're starting to be at like, we, we've gone from, you know, down the street first Baptist or whatever, like as the church to like one that has a name, just like grace or hope. Yeah. <laughs> and it's in a cool font. Like that's kind of where we've changed. I, I was, I was how- looking up <laughs> stuff about the churches in the area. I think there is one that's just called agape. Yeah. That sounds right. We have a crisis pregnancy center here named that too. So, oh god, that's a terrible name for pregnancy center. You don't want the word. You don't want the word gape in there. <laughs> ours was called ours was called Hands of Hope until it went under because of all the embezzlement. Um. <laughs> oh man, I don't I don't know if there's been any any major scandals outside of just the thing that they do yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) but um but yeah no no embezzlement yet although i would yeah wouldn't be entirely surprised um yeah when 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 they had uh uncovered it at the crisis pregnancy center in in gallup it had been going on for decades so yeah it's just like a matter all you just need is one reporter to like start opening up some documents around Yeah. yeah Yeah, the, it seems like the only people that really have like a thing with with agape has been like, you know, like local DSA groups or whatever, but sure. not like the main media, like media here. Mm-hmm. From what I, mm-hmm. you know, what I've seen anyway, I might be wrong about that, but no, like Ben, ben Napier's though, like his masculinity is like a thing that gets focused yeah. on in the show frequently. Um, it's it, not it, in like it doesn't. It's not like obnoxious like it doesn't feel manosphere or anything yeah he, he's actually very non-threatening he's yeah he's, he's kind of the, and they play a lot off of his sort of softness and it, like how it, yeah all the guys like to prank each other whenever they're in a barn or whatever by pretending that there's a snake or a spider or a rat or something yeah and they all get spooked and that's kind of the joke he's like oh yeah no one screamed and then it cuts to him screaming yeah uh, yeah, so it like it's a it's a point of like you know poking a little bit at it, and he always says like, "Oh, we're manly, we're doing manly stuff." Yeah. You know, he always says that kind of stuff. But like, yeah, it's softened, so it isn't. I don't, know, but it's still really central to his image. So I, yeah, I don't know. well, I don't he has the bona fides. It. He he's able to do the woodworking. You can see him doing mm. the hard wor- work of ripping up walls or taking down bricks or you know tearing things up and and building things. So I think he's able to. Uh, get away with it and still come across as like a, a classically masculine role model without necessarily going full like mm-hmm. oath keeper. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like it's, it's not even like, you know, like if I knew, you know, I, I know, I know people with this, like this, like level of, it's not a bad thing to be this person, yeah. but I think it's also, it is fitting into like this broader, I don't know, like idea of what a small town is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's, there's, you know, the, the women do this and the men do this. And, yeah. And they, they emphasize know. when they're doing interior decoration, there always has to be a masculine feature in each room, mm-hmm. inherently believing that the rest of the room is not masculine. Yeah. Right? Like so by long, definition. Of, so as long yeah. as you have one like non-threatening thing. <laughs> You know, like a deer hide or something in the living room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is, that's like, cause yeah, that's, that's where it comes up the most is them like 
calling aspects of the room of the house manly or whatever. Like yeah. actually the the picture of that um that uh, uh uh bookshelf I was talking about with Kissinger on yeah. it. When I had clicked it to load up the picture, I had seen that the name of it was uh the name of the file when I had clicked it was like the manly bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> Manly decor. There it is. Manlydecor.jpg. There oh it is. Oh my God. <laughs> the men love reading about Henry Kissinger. You can't get enough of them. And, wi- and women love reading about Lenny Riefenstahl. <laughs> the two genders. The two genders are Kissinger <laughs> and Riefenstahl. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, also, like, I'm just like looking over notes I had taken while watching the show. Yeah. It was also kind of funny to mention that, oh, Ben, ben was a history major. Maybe that's how he justifies oh, the Kissinger Oh, yeah, they thing. do mention that. Yeah. And and that's part of that's the other thing is they want you to see their homes as pieces of history where they like acknowledge and celebrate whatever this home was at different phases of its life. Right. So they want mm-hmm. to uncover the hardwood floors that, you know, were there when it was built in 1910. They always talk about history. They like to put up and this apparently, again, comes from this wedding article uh, from their own life. They like to like contact their clients' families and get like pictures of their great grandparents and blow them up oh, and frame yeah, yeah. them and put them on the wall. So it's also like that person's history in addition history. to the history of the house. Yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, again, like with a lot of these, it's like, I don't really necessarily have a criticism of it, but yeah. it's, it's more like altogether. It starts feeling like you, you would kind of mentioned at the beginning. It just, something feels off about yeah. the show, but I can't place it. Well, they, they, that's probably good. I'd say that's yeah. like, yeah. History stuff, I'd say that's probably the most ethical way you could go about like a renovation like that, yeah. maybe. I, I don't think but... these are evil people for sure. No. Um, but it's it, it is kind of funny to talk about like the history of a small town in Mississippi. Uh and <laughs> never mentioned. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh well, you don't have to go very far back before you start seeing some really horrifying things. <laughs> Well, and uh, there, there's this article in the Mississippi Free Press by Jonathan O'Dell who talks about, like, he was born in Laurel in 1951, and he kind of goes through the history as he understands it, and he he comes back to the town and goes to the, the new revitalized downtown district and jumps on a little, like, diesel-powered trolley that's driving around, and uh, he talks to the tour guide who's doing the tour, and they pass by, like... A memorial marker for someone who got lynched. They pass by this huge Confederate monument that's on the courthouse Jeez. lawn, and uh, it 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 doesn't get mentioned. It's like, oh, look over at the other side of the street. Here's this uh, burger place, you know. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> and they're all of the and I mean, even that that other the local newspaper um, that y- you talked about the dark side of of this town. That article about the 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 shooting. Um, that editor also refers to Black Lives Matter, the organization, as a Marxist terrorist organization. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a it's a deeply the, yeah. the elites, the people who are running the press and running the politics of that town, are pretty fucking right wing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and that was that was what was kind of interesting. Like again, kind of poking around trying to find scandals of this. Like one of them was. Uh, a very silly 2020 thing where people were mad at Aaron Napier for not having posted about BLM. And then I think her statement probably made that worse. Uh, Yeah. Her statement, (laughs) because it, 
<laughs> she she raises a lot of like things that are true, you know? Um yeah. How social media trivializes things and posting a black square is is just kind of stupid. Um and it it was funny yeah. to see her talk about the black square specifically and like thinking about um Juliana Margulies the other week saying, "I posted a black square in 2020." Why are all these black people <laughs> behaving like this because they, you know, think Palestinians are human or whatever? And yeah, <laughs> so it's like it's a true thing. But she she yeah. And I, I mean, it, it's certainly like I'm not much of a poster myself, especially these days where it's like, well, I don't want to just like I don't want to say something pithy or quippy because I don't want to trivialize, for instance, like what's happening in, in Gaza right now. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to say something that draws attention to me. So I guess like. I'm going to try to just retweet things or something like that. But like, you know, you have this huge platform and you have built this brand as the Napiers have of public engagement, right? They are not just Mm. building businesses or fixing houses. They are fixing their town. They are creating a new laurel to rise from the ashes of the old laurel. And they are posting just Bible verses and, uh, you know, pictures of some store that's nearby because they believe more in the project of 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 rebuilding through investment, of rebuilding in a way that emphasizes business and emphasizes cleanliness and and emphasizes um very easy to advertise things that then also makes you money. Mm-hmm. Because and and that that is something that people believe very sincerely. They don't just believe it because they make money off of it. They they see that this is how America operates, and they're going to work within that system to make things better in that way. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and it, yeah, like it, it's not even necessarily like yeah that they they just want to be, um, you know, they just want to make a bunch of money. It, it they understand that that well now i still think that they're going about it wrong but like yeah, they understand yeah. that like yeah we, we are in a fucking capitalist hellscape or whatever and that's that's how you make things happen this is you know most of the men like most of the people i've met who've worked at like nonprofits or whatever start getting into this logic as well where they're just yeah. like well like the revolution's not fucking coming right now right and yeah. so well like i guess i'm going to have to you know, get these grants from this person and yeah, it's fucking blood money, but we're going to try to do good with it. And it is what it is. And I'm like, I'm really sympathetic to that, even though I, I do, I, but, but I don't, you know, I, I, yeah, it's a frustrating thing because I, I don't know quite the bright answer to say to someone like that, because like, (laughs) I think that we should do something more, but they are also right that it feels like a kind of doomed project right now. And, but that being said, Returning to the Napiers, they yeah. they could they could post like a little bit. They could, the yeah, they could talk about the. <laughs> like, <laughs> they could talk about you know the the various black people in their community. If if they're focused on their community, why don't they emphasize right. like pastors and community leaders that and business owners? You know, and talk about talk- them as in, and and talk about if they really believe in like yeah, we don't want to emphasize protest or something like that. Why don't they just emphasize those positive things? And they they don't. They just don't. It's just it's still just like I went back through mm-hmm. her her blog, which she calls her journal, even though it's just ads for things, <laughs> and it posts so frequently. I don't know who their their blog person is, but there are a lot of posts every single year. And I went back to twenty twenty. I wanted to see. 
like what what the Napier's brand was saying about COVID nineteen because every everything had to adjust to that in address some way. it yeah they don't at least not there wow. maybe maybe if I had gone through her Instagram or something but um, on her blog all of a sudden it just stops featuring local businesses and events and it just shows various houses that were featured on the show for basically the rest of that year and it's far less frequent posting. And then once production picks back up, then they start sort of doing their regular thing again. They filmed mm-hmm. an entire season through 2020. Uh, and they, and you can't tell. I mean, we watched an episode each season. You couldn't tell which one was the 2020 season. Yeah, I didn't. I, yeah. And they, they said, yeah, well, everyone working, if they were off camera, they were wearing masks. And that, that was about it. I'm sure Mississippi, yeah. there wasn't a whole lot that they had to sidestep in order to do that. But... <laughs> You know, I, I get a real sense from them. Maybe this is a, a way of thinking of it is that I, I get a sense that they, they are living in very political times mm-hmm. and that they do not want to talk about politics at all. Yeah. And they get anxious when having to deal with anything that is deemed political. And so the instant early days of COVID, it starts getting politicized. Right. Yeah. And yeah. there's, you know, people are talking about. Um, not doing the lockdowns and resisting the government against the lockdowns and all yeah. that stuff. It's And I'm sure they're getting a lot of that as evangelicals. They're seeing a lot of that. And then they're probably also seeing a lot of, well, it would make sense to stay inside. That's a pretty good move. And the move is don't say anything, I guess. Yeah. We'll just like let it play out. And then probably the same thing happened with BLM, especially if they're, if they're Methodists, for instance, right? I think that that actually highlights something because they're kind of at an intersection of liberal and conservative because of yeah. that. In who they're around, like there will be liberals or or maybe even leftists in the Methodist Church, and there will also be conservatives, and they'll all mm-hmm. be in the same church. And so, what's the best thing you can do? Well, it's just don't fucking bring this stuff up. Yeah, just <laughs> that's the move. Sing the songs, do the sermons, do the Bible study, and go home. Uh-huh. Don't let the the conversations get too too into it at all. Whereas at a Southern yeah. Baptist church, they will get nakedly political because they know that everyone there is going to be in general agreement. Yeah, yeah, they'll all know the 14 words also. (laughs) (laughs) Right, but like, it's a different environment, you know, because like, yeah, I I grew up in an RCA church, right? Mm -hmm. And and that was the same thing. There was just very little talking about politics because there were... There were Democrats and there were Republicans at the church. So what do we do? We just don't talk about it. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, because church was such a political thing for me growing up. It was just all the time. I mean, every sermon would just get derailed by something about how people weren't being nice enough to George Bush or whatever. (laughs) actually i had a i i do like uh like i the the guy who was my childhood pastor i've stayed facebook friends with him and he has remained pretty solid for a pastor Mm. for a like 80 year old pastor you would not you'd be surprised at how solid his opinions are yeah i mean he's not like perfect but uh you know he is uh opposing israel's actions in gaza and has opposed Mm. israel for a few years now yeah and he also gave anti-war sermons um okay but it but it also pissed people off so this is why in the daily just don't bring it up yeah and especially if you're selling something right you're 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 building Mm -hmm. your business off of being a public persona but i think there's also just a vein of people and i think it's probably a lot of the hgtv pilled people who think that politics are just inherently distasteful that there is no way to get anything done through politics of any sort whether electoral Mm -hmm. or on the street or mass movement um who 
think I should have looked at like open secrets and see if the Napiers show up on any like you know who they've donated to, but uh, <laughs> uh, but like for the most part, their their image of how to change the world is actually to disengage from those politics entirely because they have seen maybe at some point you know they put some money into a, a root beer business and then that company has come up the street looks a little bit nicer that it's on now and it's like okay that worked out i i did the input i see the output that makes sense that must be the way that we actually fix things up it's just economy it's just money it's just branding it's just aesthetics and then from there we can we can make the the city better by its very nature mm-hmm and it's well yeah. and it's 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 wrong i mean it's an incorrect you just look at the rest of of this town and it hasn't it hasn't come up but the rents have come up <laughs> you know the 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 unemployment hasn't really changed the uh the amount of people under the poverty line hasn't changed but the the rents have changed yeah yeah you, you know you 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 saying it like you know a, a lot of hgtv a lot of hgtv's audience is you know, going to see it as like politics don't get anything done and that, you know, you yeah. do better through business. You know, in some way, HGTV kind of lives on as like like the ideology of the 90s kind yeah. of maintaining itself today, you yeah. know? And actually, you know, the the whole flip anthropy show in, in The Curse, that's that's their kind of fits the same thing, right? Yeah. It's it's the it's it's that era era of like, you know, post ideological charity. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's all there is left, you know? But yeah, like, but, but yeah, when you actually look at what's actually like, it's, it's not politicizing it to just to say that HGTV is leading to gentrification of towns that they're doing this stuff in. Yeah. It just, it just is happening. The rent's yeah. going up, like you're saying, right? Well, and like, look at how, like the Gaines has got a, a big backlash because they associated with the pastor who has like openly said homophobic stuff in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I, I want to be clear. The Gaineses are obviously like your typical right wing evangelicals. They are homophobic. They are like, I, I don't think you mm-hmm. need to, you know, they can say you can't see our heart or whatever, but like you, you can see where their money's going. You can see what their ideology is. You can see how much they center faith as part of their brand with the Napiers. I did just look them up on open secrets. They have never made donations anywhere in politics. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I just looked at like, I found, I found a Ben Napier, but it isn't the same yeah, one. Yeah. Some guy um, in Ohio. Some guy in Ohio who really likes John Kasich. That's, that's <laughs> well, what I who found. Who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> we all would, would give uh, $10,000 two separate times to. But I think John too Kasich. about like, like at some point, if you're doing this job and you're like, oh, yeah, we're revitalizing our historical district, you know, that you're not revitalizing the places that may need the most intervention, mm-hmm. right? It's it's pretty it's pretty clear to see that there are places in town that are worse off that you are not having much involvement in. Uh, I so the Southern Baptists have this thing called World Changers. Um, the Christian Reformed Church has Project mm-hmm. Serve. It's a, a short term mission trip, right? Where you and your youth group, you all get in a van, you go to some place go- for a week. Yeah, go clean graffiti off a wall. Yeah, in and Chicago. World, world and Changers <laughs> was more specifically about houses. So we'd okay. go to someone's house, repaint it, re-roof it, um, uh, build a wheelchair ramp. That was something that we started doing a few years into okay. it. And the very first one that I went to, my siblings had been on a couple before me, and the first one I went to, we went to Southern California, and the town that we went to had had world changers 
there before a couple of times. And the the city council had decided that they were going to utilize world changers. And oh, instead yeah. of going to people who had kind of petitioned the church individually and they get sort of selected, we went to the historic district of town. <laughs> Oh and god. we, you know, painted fucking mansions. Oh my god. For the Lord. Re- really changing some worlds. Yeah, and, and it's like all those people all went to the church. It was such a fucking racket. And we were all like, we're scraping lead paint too. Like this was a this was a catastrophe. You just like you're sending yeah. like 15 year olds out, uh, putting them in bunny suits in July in Southern California. To scrape uh-huh. lead paint off of a house that costs more than something that they will probably ever own in their <laughs> own adulthood. There is a weird evangelical thing with like taking advantage of free labor. Like mm-hmm. that's that is like a constant. I don't love know. it. They love it. Like but it um, shows your virtue, you know. It, right. Well, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I was going to mention like I um like in the the early part of the Josh Duggar story, right oh, yeah. after he had you know. Uh, molested his his sisters what they had done was send him to a work camp for him to go do free labor (laughs) yeah with a bunch of other like rapist teenagers yeah that's that's just that's Uh, just our pedophile gulag you know you know what like i i think it's even more fucked up about that that situation though when i think about it is i'm i'm not sure if the work camp was exactly pedophile teenagers no no it was just it was troubled kids yeah yeah so they could have just been mouthy yeah that's what I was. That's what I'm thinking is like, especially with the low bar of what like an evangelical will consider a bad kid. Yeah. There likely was like pedophiles <laughs> next to like a kid that said "damn" at church one yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like to think about how powerful the Duggars were with you know TLC Discovery with you know mm-hmm. they had the the fucking red Batman hotline to David Zaslav personally. <laughs> And now they're running that organization. Now that Bill, now that Gothard was was run out, mm-hmm. it is the the Duggar parents who basically run that entire org, which is crazy. Um, mm-hmm. my, my, I have cousins who who grew up in that system. Uh, my uncle, oh, man. my uncle bought into it when he was like in his fucking early twenties, and it was the oh, one time man. where like growing, you know, you're, I'm growing up Southern Baptist in the first place. Mm-hmm. But it, it was very weird being like a little kid and having my mom sit me down and it's like, now your uncle's going to say some pretty extreme things. Uh, <laughs> the, the rule of thumb was just basically ignore it. <laughs> it's ignore what. It, yeah. Well, I had that because like I was I was a uh, like homeschooled and evangelical, but I was so lucky that. My parents um, thought the quiverful shit was weird. Yeah. And they thought it was really weird. And so, like, I would run into those kinds of families at, like, convent, like, homeschool conventions yeah, that my yeah. parents dragged me to. But, like, they would be, like, the weird ones in the jean skirts walking by, you know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Okay, so I don't want to. We, we watched one episode from each season. I wouldn't want to like go through the episodes like play by play because I just I don't know what point there would be to that. Yeah. But maybe you want to talk about the pilot because I think that is yeah. where they're trying to frame what the show is. And and boy, they they go in really hard. I mean, you can tell that they they really know what they want this show to be in the pilot. <laughs> the the amount of American flags in like oh the first God. ten seconds. <laughs> 
just in the background. And there's so many. There's so many flags. I I, I kept like looking to see if there were any Confederate flags anywhere, but they're no, you know, all safely out of frame. Uh, and but no no POW MIA flags either. So these people do not care about the troops. That's right. Uh, that's right. <laughs> Although there is like, there's like a brief thing of him like talking to a cop briefly. Like there's a lot of these just like, you could tell they're just getting inserted to quickly like, I don't even want to say dog whistle because I don't know if it's like even to that level. It's more just like, hey, you like this thing, right? It's almost like a virtue, like a virtue signal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And I've seen, so they they have a thousand spinoffs. They have Ben's Workshop, Ben's Workshop (laughs) Holiday Edition. Uh, hometown takeover where they go to Wetumpka, Alabama in the first season and then Fort Morgan, Colorado in the second season. They oh also God. have hometown kickstart, which they don't even actually do anything. They just kind of host it, I guess. And then other HGTV personalities go to like uh, one episode was in Winslow, Arizona, which is my, okay, my neck yeah, of the yeah. woods. So I watched that one. Uh, they've had Christmas specials, Christmas in Laurel. Uh, and they also had a special called uh, Takeover, as in the Alabama one, Where Are They Now? Mm-hmm. And they're, I mean, this brand is huge. It's enormous yeah. now. And so many of these episodes across all of the, the different things are like they bring in a celebrity, a country music star or whatever. But there's also a lot of cops. There's <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like local Colorado <laughs> cop, you know, yeah. needs a new basement or something. <laughs> I, I love that, yeah, and like the kind of conservative psyche, just a cop is like a celebrity. <laughs> yeah. Like any cop is just kinda <laughs> Oh my god. But yeah, yeah, like the a lot of that it it is interesting watching that first episode, like before knowing that they're gonna blow up into this massive brand. Yeah. Um because it feels like even like the you know, the American flags and talking to a cop and stuff like that felt like like it feels like the show kind of slowed down on that shit as it went on. But mm-hmm. in the beginning they were like trying to I think make it coded as a conservative show. Yeah. But then by the end it's like it's you know, yeah, it's like it feels like a completely apolitical centrist like yeah. Yeah, and and avoiding and th- anything. There's so much about this that's just like it, th- this is where they do the whole. You know, it's the South. We have porches. They do this weird bit of storytelling in this pilot where they have this couple that they're talking to. They show them the different houses that you know the couple's probably already bought one of them, and then they like run into them downtown. They're like, "Oh, small towns, <laughs> you just run into people." <laughs> And they're they're already fully mic'd, and <laughs> yeah, this happens to all of us when you're walking around with your your mic. Yeah. Uh, I just happened to wear my loft this spot. morning. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! There's this like throwaway comment that gets made when when you know Ben like when they're like introduce the Napiers are introducing themselves where they're like, oh Ben never had a hometown of his own. Is yeah. the phrase? What does that so, mean? <laughs> well, I, my thought was immediately th- this felt like they were military coding him, where it was like, oh, he grew Damn. up in a military family and they had to move around all the time or something. And then I found out that his parents were pastors, and I guess yeah, pastors do tend to move around frequently because yeah. churches are places of turmoil. <laughs> <laughs> 
but like, that's... yeah, they, they they don't expound on it there. I think they do mention that he had been a pastor or he was currently a pastor, mm. but they didn't mention that 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 his parents were also pastors. Uh, yeah, but it's, they're they're trying to play this image of like there's really one home for anyone, and it's the small town. It's the small town, and yeah, it's like it's a very welcoming South that they're trying yeah. to pro- you know project. Like there is not a hint of of racism in this South, no. although there's also no people of color. But no, there's I, a, I think like yeah, yeah on, <laughs> uh, infrequently they'll have some episodes where the, the the client is black. We see the mayor in this pilot, and of course the he mayor, is black. Which um, which was one of those things that like once I knew the town was sixty percent black, I was like, okay, that makes sense then. Yeah, but it kind of just seemed really strange that. <laughs> yeah. it it was like <laughs> the whitest town ever. Yeah, here's this porch just full of white people and then the mayor. Uh, and, and it's just like, yeah, you really... They, and they even say it's like Mayberry. And it's like, well, yeah, Mayberry is also a town where basically everyone is white. And <laughs> also it's not real. <laughs> kind of like this town, if you think about it. <laughs> And I wonder if, and I also thought about, yeah, Gomer Pyle every time that we had Ben Napier saying, golly, golly. And they did that yeah, little that was... like montage of him saying, golly. Oh my God. I thought he was going to start singing the impossible dream. Just go fully into Jim Neighbors territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's for that all was, the 60 year old fairies in your audience. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of those. I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, you know, yeah, the 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 golly thing though it it is funny. Like there is so much, oh my gosh, oh my golly, oh yeah. golly. You know, like so much of that. Which like fine, I don't, I don't. Like, it's it's fine. They, they but they make it a thing. It's very weird that yeah. they like make it a thing that he says gosh and golly a lot. Yeah, and I couldn't because I'm not from the South. I couldn't decide whether that was Southern coded or evangelical coded because I do know a lot of you know a lot of Southern mm. people who do say a lot of golly and gosh. Yeah, but I also when I think of using those phrases like very frequently and never hearing somebody saying "Oh my God" or anything a little harsher mm-hmm. than that, usually evangelical. Yeah, like at least that was I was that way for a long time. Absolutely, you know, yeah, absolutely. As a teenager, I did not, I did not swear. Until I just got really mad at Mario Party 4 one day. And then I was just like, you know what? <laughs> it's time. Gotta it's let it fly. Swear word. <laughs> Nintendo GameCube made me a swearer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was funny. Like, I went to a Christian school and everyone was had, had, a, had a foul mouth. And I remember... Yeah going to Christian college and, and talking to another student. He's like, so you went to public school, right? Like just from the way you talk. It's like, <laughs> like, no, I guess, you know, you know, just some demographic differences between it must Christian just be... schools. <laughs> yeah. There was a, there was a real like anxiety about swearing, but <laughs> I decided in high school, I didn't really care about that, but I was, the thing I self policed about was, was using quote unquote God's name in vain. Oh yeah. Uh, yep. So I, I, would say fuck and shit, but oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> For a very long time. <laughs> gosh darn it. Gosh, gosh damn it, you know? <laughs> oh, he says something. He says something really weird that, that that kept coming up. I didn't write it down. It was like gall dang or something like that. It was like <laughs> it was like something that he probably just says as a full swear word most of the time, but then censors it on TV. But it was interesting even oh, to see yeah. the clients when they're walking in and getting that first shot reaction. 
it's they sound ADR'd a lot of the time, or like they've taken the clip from a different part of the showing because you almost never hear people say "Oh my god," but they're always just about to say it. I'm like, well, some of these people, <laughs> some of these people are not Mississippi Southern Baptists. Like some of these people are absolutely going to say mild swears in their life. Yeah, Th- that episode like, where their producer is on, her daughter is like with her, and they 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 have judiciously cut around, but there is a point where I think she says "piss." <laughs> oh, I think I remember. And that. the producer's yeah. like, we, "We have to keep bleeping you, don't we?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like for piss. That's a really interesting episode because that's yeah. that's the one where they start kind of hinting behind the. Yeah, it's I like don't know, a little bit behind the. Camera. It's like not only are you now have we let you into our lives so much as a married couple? We've talked about how we dated. We've talked about you know our plans for our family and everything. But now we're even showing you behind the scenes of our own show we get very personal with the producer of that show where mm-hmm. we talk about her mom dying and like they monogram this thing that was like some nickname that her mom used to call her and everything so it's like yeah, the they Napiers. do like the glass blowing turtle yeah. because yeah. she's involved with turtles i guess and and so the napiers <laughs> are basically saying hello viewer at home you are now part of our family you know everything about us mm. you, you know there's something to it that i think i think it, you could see this in a lot of influencers or whatever where when the commodity is authenticity yeah. if that's what you're selling then you're going to eventually it's going to like devour itself as a <laughs> brand because eventually you can only reveal so many things about yourself yeah before you're either revealing really unsettling shit about yourself. Yeah. Or you, know, you just sort your... of repeat it and it just becomes like catchphrases and, and yeah. ornaments, you know? Yeah. They, they talk about them meeting in college all the time. They have, they just continue telling that story of like falling in love within seven days. You know that, and that has to do a little bit of damage to you a little, you know, I think mm-hmm. like, and I, I say this as somebody who retells a lot of anecdotes about my <laughs> life to a point that they do become like that. Yeah. Like, you know, they've, they, it's, it's, it's iconic to like how I am, who I am. Right. Mm-hmm. But like that, that does like, especially if you're doing it on such a big public level like that, I, I think it has to have an impact on you where it becomes like, like, how, what do you think the actual process of the meeting is like? I don't know. Yeah. Like what did, what, how did it actually play out? I don't know. I don't know if they even know anymore. Yeah. See, cause you tell the story so many times and it becomes its own thing. And now she's written you know? a book or she's written three books, but Aaron has a new book out that I think is sort of like a memoir type thing. So it's not about design or home, home decorating or anything like that. It's like, and people magazine just posts article after article after article mm-hmm. uh, about the Napiers. I think they they did this with the Gaineses as well, or maybe the P- Property Brothers or something. But uh, it's mm-hmm. just like they have one that's like, here's the complete timeline of the Napier's relationship. This is when they started dating. This is when they got engaged. This is when they got married. And it's it's insane. I mean, it's like it's diseased, but people are so in love with them. And that's what gets them to come to the town and, and you know, contribute to the economy. <laughs> and yeah, and I think that. In some way, this is part of why I think maybe, yeah, they didn't really know entirely what they were getting into is like, they're very, very protective of their daughter's uh, presence online, right? They, they, yes, there was a People Magazine article that's like, they share rare photos of their daughters at Christmas. And of course, the daughters are facing away from the camera. And 
even then it feels like a little too much. It's like, if you don't want to share pictures of your kids, just don't share pictures of your kids. You know, mm-hmm. don't incorporate them into the brand. But they've even gone so far as to start a nonprofit organization to keep kids off of social media where they're like trying to like yeah. gather other families to like make a pledge and keep their children from having smartphones or social media accounts until they're adults. Yeah, which is that's really fascinating because, yeah, you know, we've been talking about how apolitical they are, but I guess that's their one thing. Yeah. Like one of their one things. Cause like when I, when I like was just looking through like attempts at finding a scandal, yeah. you know, what one of them was, was just people were saying, oh, they might be really controlling to their kids because of the social media thing, which like, m- maybe, maybe that's not enough for me to yeah, like cancel no, them. Me you know neither. I mean? And like, especially like they are so public. I totally understand a lot of a lot of celebrities kids don't have social media accounts. There was like something with like Sophia Coppola's child or something like that. Or yeah, remember making a TikTok and everyone became obsessed. And it's like, well, yeah, that's why this girl is not allowed to have this. Like, yeah, like people are going to go insane uh, going after some celebrity's child. And there was apparently some sort of stalking incident that happened. It's really hard to parse. Aaron made like a social media post, but it was like it, obviously very. It's raw. a little strange. Yeah, it was yeah. not filtered through their social media person who like made it easy to read. Like there are weird quotations in it, and it's like who is she quoting here? But it basically sounds like some guy just ended up in that town and was squatting in a house. Maybe. Yeah. And yeah. It was. It yeah. was. Yeah, because it was a guy who. Uh, well, I, she, I think she had claimed had bought a house, but he might've been squatting. I don't know. And yeah, had it was, like it was, no was, belongings in the house yeah. except for a single suitcase and a stormtrooper outfit that he was wearing. Yeah. Like, like star Wars stormtrooper, not like German. Yeah. Trooper. No, not like Nazi. <laughs> not like Lenny Riefenstahl. And he, was, <laughs> <laughs> and he was like walking around the town saying he was here to protect the women of Laurel, which yeah. this is fucked up. And I, I feel bad that I, I, can catch myself starting to laugh whenever <laughs> I describe it because it's it is very fucked up. There's just something so absurd about it. Also, yeah, it's like. Um, that. But these are the kind of this is the kind of yeah. shit that happens when yeah. you have a public life. So I totally understand them not wanting to have a social media presence. Yeah, and like, to be like, no, my my child is just not going to be able to have this stuff. And I, you know what, I kind of agree. Like, I mean, I've I have I sort. I mean, I've never been very good at social media at all. But like, I you know, I had a. Facebook that I made when I was 17. I had a MySpace when I was 14 and I didn't do a whole Mm -hmm. lot on it, but like it's kind of refreshing because like, I think you see older generations who at least taught us in the nineties. Oh, be careful what you do on the internet. Don't put any information out there to just being like, hi, my name's Gerald Jones and my social security number is five, six, two, two, eight, 85, 43. And I voted for Donald Trump. And it's like, (laughs) (laughs) and if i think if it comes i i think there is something to be said about like especially waiting until your child's a teenager right when they're starting to Mm -hmm. develop some independence and they want to have like a network with their own friends uh that's one thing but like you know i'm not a parent what i'll say is like i'm not a parent and it seems terrifying to have to deal with the realities of all of that with kid yeah like if i you know, if I end up having kids anytime in the next 10 years, that is something I am mortified to think through how to think through. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, tech, it's it's advancing so fast, too. Like, yeah. by at that point, I, my old ass isn't going to be able to keep up with what strange and vile things <laughs> that are happening <laughs> online. 
and you know, like I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm younger than you. And so I, I did grow up on the internet and that yeah. probably did not do good things to me. I don't think it did. <laughs> like, you know, no, no, like, probably not. <laughs> like, yeah, I had a Facebook when I was 13 wow. and like that probably, probably wasn't good for me. Yeah. That's very I mean, strange. It's, it's, like yeah. I, I, my my, if I think of someone like under fifteen with a social media account, I just have an image of like a baby using a computer. Like I'm like, how do you reach the keys with those tiny arms? <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, I, and unfortunately, because of Facebook's reminding, like what you used to say feature, I, I get to see what thirteen year old Josiah <laughs> had on his mind, and it was bullshit. But <laughs> God, I can't even stand what like twenty six year old me had to say. Like, oh, I see those oh, posts man. and I'm like, God, oh, Jesus Christ, why are you like this, Brian? I know. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, I, it was, a lot of it was just repeating what conservative people around me were saying. And so that's why it's really like, it's, it's like, you didn't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, I don't remember why I ran into the other day, like, scroll, like, it, it showed up and it was like for me when I was like 13 or 14 mm-hmm. and it was a quote from Netanyahu. Oh I'm my like, God. What? And then I'm like, there's no way, because I didn't know who that was. <laughs> And it was like, I'm almost fucking certain I'd like overheard it or like seen it on a, a thing. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I don't know what Israel is, but they're, they, you know, I like them in the Bible. So, yeah. And they need to defend themselves. Yeah, I mean, so. they've had this country for a few thousand years now. It just seems like people yeah, need to leave seems, them alone. It seems right. They have, they have the ability to defend themselves, right? Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, that was that was one of those I deleted immediately. But yeah. <laughs> p- point being, like, yeah, I I get where they're coming from, and yeah. so like, if this is if this is really their most conservative take, it's like it's like you know their most like openly conservative thing they're lobbying about. Like, I don't know, I'm probably kind of conservative on this too. You know yeah. what I mean about technology? Yeah. Like, I yeah. So I don't know. I don't have much to. Yeah, like to I get it. I get it. And I would just say for the Napiers, like go further, dude. Just like keep your kids out of your pictures. Don't don't make them part of your I, brand at all. For God's sake, for their sake, like never, mm-hmm. <laughs> never let it happen. Yeah, they're kind of like the kids are like an interesting like uh you know thing thing that's just kind of not on the show mm-hmm. but is a presence. Like, cause it's I think in the later seasons you you could see in the in the intro. Yeah. You know, the intro changes every, you know, it's like slowly changing as you're watch as we, the way, we, like I watched it anyway, of like one of every season, yeah. you get to see it kind of shift. And like, I think it's the last two or three seasons where they start showing a brief shot yeah. of them with the kid they're and the always, kids facing away. They're always talking about the kids. They're like the, the, the child facing away is a big part of like pioneer woman, homestead, trad wife instagram kind mm-hmm. of stuff mm-hmm. where you'll see these they're they're very spooky pictures of like you'll have the husband and wife there and they'll have their like five blonde children who are all facing away <laughs> from the camera <laughs> it's like looking at a victorian picture where like the baby is dead or whatever you know <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Oh, do you ever have it? My grandma once showed me the pictures of her twin brothers who died in infancy. And they were like, they at least weren't posed with the family. They were just like, yeah, a shot straight down into their like tiny coffins. And she was like, oh, yeah, these were my brothers. And then my <laughs> and I, I was young enough that I kind of treated it matter of factly in the same way because my grandma yeah. was also being matter of fact. And I think that might also just sort of be a Swedish American thing where Swedish Americans are just like, oh yeah, yeah that, that person, emotions. he died. Anyway, 
like, but I, I do remember telling my mom that I was like, I, I went through this old album with my grandma and she was like, she didn't show you the, uh, <laughs> the dead babies. <laughs> oh yeah. she did. <laughs> where, where was that like a trend at? Cause I, I didn't have it. Like, I don't have any his, you know, pictures from anyone in my family to my knowledge. Mm. That's that way. I had actually only learned about that as a thing in college. Mm. Because I took a I took a photo history class, oh, like photo okay. history of the U.S., and then oh. uh, the professor had a lot of fun time showing us all those. Yeah, I would have loved having a class <laughs> like that. Uh, it was um, it was super cool. <laughs> it was. Let's see. This probably would have been about a decade before my grandmother was born. They were o- they were older than her, mm-hmm. and so it probably would have been around 1908, 1909. Okay, that yeah. that photo would have been taken, and th- yeah, it was sort of a turn of the century thing before you had the availability of like box cameras, right? And everyone started getting little box cameras, um, mm-hmm. where you know if a picture was something you did at the studio then you'd have a relative get their picture taken. If they never had their picture taken, you were going to do it immediately after death. It just sort of became part mm-hmm. of the package. And it was such a, it, it, it's very matter of fact. It's it's very like if you come across stories of people talking about, you know, going and getting a picture with their deceased relative or, or having the photo t- and, mm-hmm. and photo taken of the, the casket or whatever it was, it was sort of just seen at that point, photography was so ubiquitous. It was just like, that's what you did. That was the ordinary yeah. thing. You, 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 in the same way that you keep a death certificate or a birth certificate, it was just like this is the record of our mm-hmm. family of, of who this we person. are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it makes total sense. I, I guess what what I meant was more like, do you know if it was like a southern thing or? Oh, yeah, that's a good question too. Like more regional because so well yeah, they were in Missouri, so okay, it it might have been more prevalent in Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee kind of that area mm-hmm. where it's sort of the south and then but like not necessarily the confederate yeah. south but yeah i don't sure. i don't know if it was necessarily more because uh, we don't have any others i mean you know there there are other relatives who died young who we don't and and we don't have any of the like posed pictures i feel like that might have been a little bit more british where you know you'd have like a mm-hmm. a grandmother <laughs> or a or an adult who those died who's like, yeah, propped up and a very strange <laughs> Yeah, those are those are pretty horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Saw a few of those. Um, yeah, I guess what is, what is our what is our final takeaway at hometown? Because I <laughs> I was hoping I'd I'd have a, a like, you know, when going into this, I'm like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna have this strong stance on yeah. like gentrification and how fucked up this thing is. Yeah. But like, I don't really have that. I have a lot of like half thoughts. You know. Yeah, I I don't know if I if I have a very clear. Mm-hmm. you know thesis thing that, that draws it all together it's just like this it's this interesting thing that has become mm-hmm. I, i'm so shocked by how big it is by how obsessed people sure. magazine is with them and you know every time they post about weight loss or their new book or whatever and and then when you see places like that reddit community how people are so attached to like like the yeah. branding has worked they really are defined by this marriage and i would just say like reality tv is very the way that it's done because it's so sloppy in certain ways it actually makes it very easy to hide the things that it's hiding so that you don't even realize that that's what they're doing yeah because you feel like you're already seeing through the cracks yeah 
you know, because because it showed you the camera crew mm-hmm. at one point. And someone because, someone said yeah. something and you heard someone off screen being like, no, that was wrong. Do it again. Or just the fact it's handheld and kind of flowing around. And it's all just kind of designed to be flat. You know, there's there are no peaks mm-hmm. and valleys in a reality TV show about home improvement. It's just like <laughs> the same tone every single minute. And yeah. you are then just sort of immunized against thinking about it critically and thinking about what are we not mm-hmm. seeing in a way that that can be very, very dangerous, I think. Because then you can mm-hmm. you can buy this line. You can buy this line that like, yeah, the, the, these are not only good people, but this is actually the model. This is the way that we can fix America. And uh, it's not... <laughs> Well, yeah, and it, it also is something where I, I think you you put yourself into it while you're watching it a bit in like uh like like I'd said you know earlier like oh I imagining myself being a a, a property owner or whatever yeah. it it really it it has a depoliticizing effect on even like you or yeah. whatever because you know it just gets you thinking about oh you know these are really nice people and I'm not really going to question why there's no people of color on the show. And, you know, they seem nice. And this house, uh, wow, they took that shack and they made it real pretty. And <laughs> I don't have to think about housing, yeah. uh, you know, which is not totally not a political thing at all. And <laughs> I mean, to be I mean, fair, generally think- thinking about housing is very complicated. Like there are a lot of issues where people are like, oh, it's complicated. And then it's like, no, it's really not. It's with housing. I'm like. Man, there's a lot going on there. This is really, <laughs> there's so many layers to everything and everyone's yelling at each other online, but I, I really don't even understand the arguments that they're articulating. Fully. Yeah, they're having an argument. I'm Googling, what, what is a Yimby? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's totally true. That, that is true. It is not a... And so it's easy to just default to, well, it's it's all about these nice people buying nice houses. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's just being so nice to each other. <laughs> They're just so nice. making a lot of money doing it. It's so much money. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I guess, I guess, yeah, that's probably moving us toward wrapping up. Um, we we haven't ton- talked a ton about worst of all possible worlds, oh, yeah. so I you know probably you probably want to yeah if anybody hasn't listened to it yeah so I have a podcast called the worst of all possible worlds it's me and my friends Josh and AJ we're people who used to make theater with each other and and during the pandemic uh, even just slightly before we were making YouTube videos and then it ta- turns out that uh, making YouTube videos takes an incredible amount of work and time as you know. <laughs> I yeah oh my god uh, and I I don't I don't think I did as as um like as complicated one as as your guys's were yeah and, well uh, maybe not aesthetically complicated but I think you you you're to gas you up here for a bit on on the air oh, uh, you did a fantastic job with with just running through the thesis and I think informationally yours is is, is so impressive. Uh, about the oh, history of zombies, and I can't wait to see if you do another one. But I totally understand if you don't. No, I, I want to slow it down, but yes, I will do. And well, I mean, I'll say if, if you guys, if anybody listening to this hasn't gone and watched Worst of All Possible Worlds video essays, yeah. do highly recommend it. Yeah, I, I don't know if uh, I don't know if you listened to it or not, but last October I did a I fruitless did, yeah. episode about J Horror, and we talked about your video briefly. Very, I was 
It was very sweet. Thank you. Uh, and yeah. But yeah, we, <laughs> we split off from doing that to doing weekly podcasts. And we uh, our pitch is that we, we are showcasing the pop culture of an empire in decline. Uh, we look at video games and movies and TV shows, occasionally books. Uh, but because Josh and I grew up evangelical, and we like to torture our friend AJ, who grew up half Catholic, <laughs> half atheist... Um, we also look at evangelical culture and more specifically a long running radio drama called adventures and odyssey that has been around right. as long as the Simpsons and <laughs> shows no this signs of good. quitting. And it was produced by a group that your listeners have probably heard of focus on the family, which is a, right. a major political lobbying organization founded by James Dobson, the child psychologist, the child psychiatrist who said that you should beat your kids. <laughs> <laughs> and there are a lot of people who listen to us despite the Adventures in Odyssey episodes. We try to put out a number of high quality, long podcast episodes so that the occasional week that you get an Adventures in Odyssey that you don't want to listen to, uh, you can just skip it and wait until the week after. <laughs> Well, and, and there's also a good chunk of your listeners that listen because of... Just because of Adventures. <laughs> it's, it's put us in a very weird point in terms of like uh, where to take the business going forward. Because it's like, well, we can't drop this, but also there are people who just don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am, I am actually... I'm interested to see how you'll resolve that. Because, yeah, yeah, you gotta... <laughs> So am I. Just send me forward two years when someone else has figured out the the complicated yeah, someone issue else has figured it out. of all the <laughs> all that content, baby. I love it. Love making content. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where could they? Uh, I, I guess. You oh didn't, yes, You said yes. you don't use social media much you, anymore. Yeah, I know yeah. we're bad at it, but um, you can find us over on Twitter. It's at t w o a p w. On Tumblr and Instagram, I think we're just the worst of all possible worlds. We have a website, worstpossible.world. That should direct you everywhere. And we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash worst of all. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for Thank joining. you for having me. Uh, this was a blast. And yeah, have to have to do it again yeah. after I get AJ on. Yeah. I've, I've, I'll cycle back around. I'll find out what other <laughs> absolutely horrible piece of television I'll force you to watch next time. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Fruitless. If you like what you heard, make sure to leave a uh, review on Apple Podcasts to help out with the algorithm. And check out the rest of the feed for more episodes. If you want even more episodes, you can check out the Patreon that is in the show notes. And speaking of that, this show is brought to you by our lovely patrons, who include Gavin Aronson, Stephen Atkinson, The Worst of All Possible Worlds, Moss, Kyle Gannis, Thomas C., James R., Leo Zachary Dickinson, and of course, Chris Barker. Thank you so much to them for supporting the show, and thank you so much to you for having listened to the show. Have a good uh, rest of your day. <laughs> <laughs>